Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. I'm Devin Kadiyama, and you're listening to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Disability groups have been organized throughout this entire pandemic. Their activism isn't new, but COVID-19 has made the stakes so much higher. I knew that that's what we had to do, but times 10. Suddenly, this wasn't about we need to make this process easier. This was about we need to keep people from dying. Today, how the disability community has fought ageism and ableism throughout the coronavirus pandemic. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. I mean, the pandemic's been hard on everyone, right? And I think we've all struggled in different ways, but... I have definitely felt terrified. Jessica Lehman is executive director of the advocacy group Senior and Disability Action. I know our lives are already devalued by society. And then this fear that we were going to be devalued in a way that meant we were going to die in huge numbers and that we were dying in huge numbers. As the virus first started to spread, Jessica and other activists were already pushing hard to make sure that the state's response didn't disproportionately harm their communities. One big issue early on was California's crisis care plan. In other words, what hospitals would do if they ran out of beds because of COVID-19. And the plan that the state came up with made Jessica really worried. The um, state's crisis care standards were basically what we had all feared which is that disabled people and 
older people would be low on the priority list. The Department of Public Health released new guidelines for a worst case scenario to help hospitals decide who gets a ventilator in a surge situation. The guidance gives a number of alternative solutions before rationing, then ultimately a scoring system based on life expectancy and chance of survival. Dr. Ranjan Misra says no doctor wants to have to make a decision like this. It was like, okay, we need to do something. We need to get disabled people, older people, um, you know, and all the people within our communities mobilized around this, and we need to fight back. I want to be able to tell my grandchildren with pride about this time when we slowed down, when we said there's no one who deserves to die like this. It's been a pretty incredible effort with statewide disability rights groups and senior groups, as well as community grassroots groups, everything in the middle, right? You know, meeting with folks at the state level, it was in June that the state came out with the new guidelines. And while not perfect, it was an amazing improvement. All right. So there was the issue of crisis care plans. And I know another big challenge going on around the same time was stopping nursing home immunity. Why was that important? While so many people were dying in nursing homes, the nursing home industry wanted the state to grant them immunity. You know, if they were found doing something wrong that contributed to deaths, that they couldn't be held responsible. And this was outrageous, right? Because we knew that most nursing homes are for profit, that they make choices about staffing levels, about how much um, PPE to provide around all these things that do affect people's lives and deaths. And so, so that was another key moment was, was having to fight back against that and push the governor not to grant immunity. There was never a moment where the governor said, okay, they're not getting immunity, but, um, but the, the moment kind of passed where we knew that they didn't get immunity. So that was huge. How did those both challenges and the work that was happening in the disability advocacy community shape the way you thought about the vaccine, especially when we knew there was a vaccine that was coming, when it was announced in December, and, and we kind of saw some kind of light at the end of the tunnel? Getting these victories around crisis care standards at the state level, around stopping nursing home immunity, showed the, the power that, that disability communities and senior communities can have. Um, and I think gave us some, some strength. When the vaccine came around, I don't think we all realized at the beginning what kind of fight was going to be necessary around vaccine equity. Many questions are still coming in about phase 1A. I had seven comments from uh, organizations or workers uh, in long-term care facilities and assisted living facilities. We had a number of questions um, from seniors and people with disabilities about being prioritized first. There were folks from the disability and senior communities in some of the key conversations, right? There were people from statewide disability organizations on the California Vaccine Advisory Committee. I don't want to speak on behalf of all of the disability organizations here, but I think that uh, for the most part, we would all agree that that index would not be an equitable tool to use. You know, there were a lot of people who were talking about disabled people and older people in key spaces. And so we kind of expected things were going to go okay, and they were going okay. And then suddenly there was that moment in January when the governor said, 
you know what, we're going to change course and we're only going to do it based on age. You'll hear a lot more about the details of a strategy to transition once we work through those cohorts represented here clearly to an age-based eligibility, which will allow us to scale up much more quickly and get vaccines uh, to impacted communities much more um, expeditiously. With the framework always on equity, we're not losing sight. So let's talk a little bit about what happened in January when the state came out with new vaccine distribution guidelines that basically took everybody by surprise, right? Essentially saying that we're not going to move forward with the tiered equity plan that we had before, but instead we're going to go with an age-based system. And they said this because it was an effort to get more vaccines into arms faster. But what was your reaction when you heard that news? My reaction was was shock and disappointment and frustration and also happiness for senior communities and confusion about what this would really mean. We were very concerned that by changing the eligibility guidelines that disabled people under 65 who were at very high risk and had been very isolated um, were not going to have access to the vaccine for a very long time. And we're going to continue to get sick and die. So our messaging became, we the state needs to focus on vaccinating people who are at high risk of COVID. And that also includes younger people with, with disabilities um, and other conditions that put them at high risk for COVID. Again, it was a, a very kind of inside outside strategy, right? With with the the big statewide disability rights organizations and um, senior organizations having those conversations with people in state government. And then all of us doing a lot of pushing on the outside. I would encourage everyone to take to social media. Um, The meme that was created for today was really great. Um, I am spreading it around the internet. Um, Telling our stories, right? Here's me, I'm at high risk. I'm in your community, I'm your neighbor, I'm your friend, right? And getting people to recognize what that meant and how we were further devaluing disabled people by deprioritizing our community for vaccine. You know, even I as a disabled person have been helping nonstop, making sure that my disabled peers had food because at the beginning we didn't have food. Everybody forgot that disabled people were gonna need food, uh, not just toilet paper. You know, we were also sending the message that disabled people and and seniors and all of our allies are are not going away. And we will keep coming back just like Groundhog Day to let you know that we're here and that we need to be listened to until we are actually heard. In mid-February, the state announced more eligibility guidelines. Starting March 15th, people with some pre-existing conditions could get vaccinated. Among them were certain cancers and heart and lung and kidney conditions. It also included people with Down syndrome, organ transplants, and pregnant women. This came after weeks of public pressure from disability groups. But Jessica says at that time, it didn't really feel like a big win. Disabled folks were pretty split on whether it was it was good news or not. I think we all felt like it was good that the state finally came out came out with a policy and felt like they needed to come out with something. And um, 
there was a list of very specific health conditions and it just didn't seem accurate. You know, it was like, where are people with asthma on this list? And then we were also thinking about things like how asthma is more prevalent in African-American communities, for example. If African-Americans are, are dying in greater numbers, then maybe we should count asthma, right? Maybe we need to look at these things together and not pretend that it's, it's so cut and dry. The other big problem with the, the policy that the state came out with was that you had to get some sort of documentation, um, likely from your doctor, showing that you were at high risk of getting COVID or dying from it. This further disadvantages um, all the disabled people who don't have good medical care, right? Who don't have a regular doctor, whose doctors don't necessarily trust them or believe them, right? Which means we're talking about, again, Black Indigenous people of color. We're talking about poor people, queer and transgender people, people with, with less common and less understood disabilities or people without diagnosed disabilities. A lot of us felt very much like, if this is a policy only for certain disabled people and more privileged disabled people, that is not a victory and that is not acceptable. In response, the disability community pushed back again. And once again, the state made changes. Now the guidelines are a lot broader and people don't have to prove their disability in order to get a vaccine. Jessica says it was really important that disabled people wouldn't have to bring documents to prove they were eligible. I know that some people were worried that that aspect of the guidelines would mean that people would start cutting in the line. But why is it important to you that that isn't a requirement, that you don't have to show that written proof in that way? Of course, there are people who are cutting the line. And those stories are terrible. Yes, that shouldn't be happening. But the reality is it's it's better for a few people to be cutting the line than to have a system where disabled people and fat people and people of color and people who desperately need the vaccine can't get it. That let's, let's open the doors and let's trust people to go in and say, I need the vaccine. I have a disability. That was an amazing victory. And that was absolutely due to disabled people and allies around the state saying, this is what we need. If we're serious about getting people vaccinated, you have to, you have to make it easy. Before, when we were talking, you told me that you feel this pandemic has really changed the conversation about ableism and has made more people actually think about it. Do you think that it's changed for the better, that conversation? I hope so. Ableism and ageism are almost never talked about. And most people have never said the words, have never really thought about them as issues. I've heard it ableism defined as the idea that disability is a bad thing. I love that definition. The huge numbers of disabled people and older people, particularly people of color, who were hospitalized and died of COVID is just so overwhelming and, and so sad and, and infuriating because it wasn't it wasn't necessary. It could have been avoided had we taken these issues seriously sooner. And so I think the way we've seen ageism and ableism play out in this pandemic 
makes it much more obvious to all of us that these are real issues and that it is worth us taking some time and energy and resources to address them. Jessica, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me. The state recently announced that in April, even more people will be eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. It'll be people 50 and older starting April 1st and people 16 and over on April 15th. Jessica says she's glad to see more people becoming eligible, but she's also concerned that some disabled people will again face barriers to getting appointments and that they'll continue to be left out of getting vaccinated. Jessica Lehman is Executive Director of Senior and Disability Action. This episode was edited and mixed by Asal Asanapur, Alan Montesilio, and me. Alan edited the script and a web copy. Asal chose the music. And Isabeth Mendoza writes our weekly newsletter. I'm Devin Kadayama. That's it from us to you later. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.